Happy National Lefty Day, old man, at Joe Ingalls. Hashtag Left Handers Day 2018. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Floyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com and you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore Beeble. It's another one of the season preview podcast today. We're going to be looking at the Utah Jazz and of course for me to talk about the Utah Jazz I have to bring on the founder of the Locked On Podcast Network, the host of Locked On NBA along with myself and other hosts uh, during the week and of course the host of the Locked On Jazz Podcast. It's the Utah Jazz Radio broadcaster, David Locke. David, welcome back. How are you, Josh? I'm, I'm, good. I'm good. How's everything? Everything's uh, everything's going well over here. Now, you have got a lot to live up to uh, on this podcast because last year on this podcast, you came out and told everybody that Donovan Mitchell was going to average 20 points per game, so everyone's going to be expecting the goods from you again, even though I did uh, I did uh, partially dismiss your, uh, your comment last season. Uh, there were a few podcasts last year where I told people to <laughs> take Donovan Mitchell instead of Rodney Hood, per se, in a uh, fantasy draft. I did uh, Danny LaRue's Real GM podcast with Adam Matos of Locked on Nuggets, and uh, they kept talking about Rodney Hood, and I kept talking about Donovan Mitchell. So um, I don't think I have anyone to give you that type of prediction today, but whoever's out there that uh, actually listened to me and believed me, um, that's not a good script for future success, but it worked for you last year. Yeah, it definitely was. It was it was massive. Mitchell, of course, was fantastic uh, last season, as everybody who plays fantasy was uh, was aware, even though he did start the season a little bit slow with some, uh, some poor shooting nights. But David, let's start by looking at the projected record for this team. Vegas has the over-under at 49.5. You've got them projected at 54 wins. Do you think that puts them in the three seed or, or maybe even higher? You know, it really depends on how much Houston slips more than how much the what the Jazz do. I think, you know, the my numbers on the loss of Trevor Ariza and Luke Bamute and putting in Carmelo in that spot are pretty dramatic blow to them, uh, both offensively as well as defensively. Luke Bamute is the one player that really moved the meter for them defensively last year when he was on the floor. They were dramatically better defensively. Um, Carmelo, you know, as much as we're killing Carmelo. He wasn't good in the playoffs. He wasn't great last year, but his on-off numbers weren't terrible at Oklahoma City. So I'm not sure he he's that big a negative to him. But I, I do think the loss of Ariza is significant, and I do think the loss of Bamute is significant, and they're a little thinner. Um, they're relying on a few more wild cards. Uh, you know, Chris Paul played 51 games last year, if I remember correctly. You probably have that off the top of your head. Uh, so I, I can't imagine that they get much worse injury luck. I mean, I think he'll miss games. He'll probably miss quite a few, and then obviously it bit them late at the playoffs. Um, but their whole season's kind of a gamble that Chris Paul's age doesn't catch up to him at some point. And if it does, then the Rockets are probably more vulnerable than that for that second spot than otherwise. I... The Thunder were a team that I had kind of always thought would be ahead of the Jazz, um, but frankly, after doing the Northwest Division preview with Adam and Danny this year, they kind of talked me out of it, that there's just a lot of, and probably from a fantasy standpoint, you look at the Thunder and you see those gaps really oh, yeah. obviously. I mean, you're just, you know, you could very easily be relying on Jeremy Grant and Alex Abrinas to do a lot for you, and uh, maybe that's too much to ask. So, you know, the Jazz have some real depth to them. Uh you know, the value of depth is a debatable thing in the NBA, but I do think it gets you through some injuries. If they can survive the opening 25, 30 games of the season, which is just a brutal stretch, uh, it's pretty easy stretch the rest of the way. They start the year with the hardest schedule, and they finish the year with the easiest stretch of anyone in the league. So if their continuity by not changing any pieces allows them to get through that first stretch at anywhere near 500, uh, then they probably are in a really good position to make a run late in the year. Now, you've projected them to be six wins higher than last season. Some of that's to do with, hopefully, Rudy Gobert playing a full season, but also to do with the guy that you projected as the leading scorer on this team taking a step forward, and that is Donovan Mitchell, who, of course, was excellent last season. He carried a absolutely gigantic load for this team through the regular season and through the playoffs. 
do you think that you know, where, where's he going to improve? Is it going to be in fish, efficiency wise? Is it going to be in uh, in ball handling and him running more of the point guard role of him taking on even a larger offensive chunk uh, of this team? He had a usage of about twenty nine percent last year. Is that going up in his second year? Well, if you go, if you know, take a look at his second half of the season. Uh, he averages, I think, twenty four a game near the end, while not shooting particularly well. Um, particularly the above the break three, which is always a hard shot for rookies. Um, particularly, he I think was at about twenty nine percent, and the off the bounce three. Those are the two shots that rookies come in the league, particularly guards, and suddenly they don't really realize how far that line is, and there's no chance to really practice it. And as the season goes on and you get tired, it's even more difficult. So I think the specifically the spot where if Donovan Mitchell is hitting his off-the-bounce three or his above-the-break three, which are often the same thing, early in the season, then it's lights out. I mean, I do believe at some point in his career he'll average 30. I think he, you know, you, the guys that have done that are Dwayne Wade and Allen Iverson, and that's who he is. He's one of those two. And so if he starts to hit that above-the-break three, uh I don't know how you guard him. I mean, if you have to suddenly get up on him in that realm, he's he's going to – now he's beating you uh, with some ease, and if the Jazz can find a way to spread the floor for him, he really could start doing some incredible stuff. We'll get back to Mitchell in just a sec, but David, as you know, Locked On NFL has uh, rebranded somewhat into be a Locked On NFL of experts with Matt Williamson hosting Locked On NFL, but he has also a brand new lineup. Every Monday, we'll have the Locked On Network's local experts, just like I do with Locked On NBA, covering the biggest stories. And then Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus joins every Wednesday, and ESPN's amazing Mike Sando joins on Thursday. So make sure you are subscribing to Locked On NFL on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you can find goes good podcasts to get this amazing content. It's going to be pretty exciting stuff there on Locked On NFL, David. I love your Monday show. I love that format. I mean, obviously, I kind of came up with it, but uh, I actually like it more now that I don't do it. Uh, <laughs> I really love listening. Now I'm, now I'm glued to Matt's Monday. I love the local expert, the biggest stories, the local experts, the three quick seven-minute interviews, uh, you know, ripping through those uh, main topics and kind of getting you updated on what happened over the weekend. Back to Donovan Mitchell now. Now, those numbers that you did reference uh, the second half of the season. So over the last 27 games of the year, which is the last two months, he did average 23 points, but he did it on a true shooting of under 53%, going at only 32% from three. So we're talking about it's huge, huge volume, a usage of 30%. He can jump that up. If hit that percentage, true shooting percentage jumps by three percentage points to 56, which is still you know, a margin under league average, then you are talking about a guy who is a 25-point player. Now, in terms of his ranking, Yahoo's got him ranked as the 17th best player for fans. I think that's probably just going maybe a little bit too high. He was 47th last year, but I think he's a top 25 type of guy, so it's not an egregious decision to have him in the top 20. He's going to get assists. He gets steals in high rates. He's going to hit threes. And yeah, he could push that 25 scoring mark this season. If he gets that, that efficiency up 45, 46 from the field overall, then you really, the sky is the limit. I think he's a top 10 guy at some point in his career. Probably by year three or year four, he can get to that level. No one should be surprised by that. If he averages 25, five and five with two steals and three threes, that's not unrealistic at some point in his career, is it? No, I, I really, I mean, we start just play with the math a little bit, right? So. Uh, I don't know if you have it in front of you, but what did he? Sh- how many free throws did he take a game? Um, in the he said, where, where are we here? Three point eight for the season, but in the last over the last twenty seven games, he was at five a game. Okay, so let's assume that he's at five and a half, five a game, with some more respect and an understanding of how to do that. Yep. That's a point and a half, right? If yep. he goes and adds two free throws, that's a point and a half. And if he hits one of his threes, he's missing, which maybe that's too much. But maybe, you know maybe what? It's one extra three every two games. Like, he could do that. Right. You know, but I mean, he was taking close to eight or nine a game by the end of the year. He's hitting 31%. So you, you doubt he gets to 40%. But so you give him another point and a half there. Well, he just jumped three points. You're at 25, 26, 27 pretty quickly. And that's why I do think he gets to 30 at some point in his NBA career. Yeah, it's it's always when you're looking at these guys, is where can they get to these numbers? How can they improve that? And people, I've, I had this discussion with people many years ago about CJ McCollum. So he's going to jump up and be this top 20 guy. Go, Where's it going to improve? What area is actually going to take that step up? when he was a guy that was shooting you know, 49% on mid-range shots where it seemed impossible to go actually up 
up from that level. Whereas a guy like Mitchell, he's done it all on low efficiency. So that could all can come up. It's, it's only marginal changes, but it can make huge, huge swings in that overall value. So I do agree with you that he is going to be able to push up and he will be a top 10 guy at, at some point. Um, maybe not this year, but I think that that rank of 17, while it's marginally high, it's not egregiously high. And I think there is still, yes, a lot to come from Donovan Mitchell. Thankfully, at this point, David. He, let me right? jump in, Josh, for a second. He doesn't have the shot of Steph or Dame Lillard. No. Like those guys have a little bit of a different, and maybe he'll learn it. You know, maybe he's such a worker, maybe he'll learn it. But from what we saw his rookie year, and you take his college numbers, he doesn't have the Dame Lillard, Steph, just insane hot shooting. So that'll, you know, that's the one question. Now, if he adds it, forget about it. Like then we're into a different world. Yeah, it's, it, and this stuff can happen. You say he might not get to 40%, but large increases in shooting percentages from first to second year or second to third year. They aren't crazy. We see guys can jump seven, eight percentage points sometimes uh, over the course of a season. So that is something that is a, a possibility. At this point, injuries did bother this team last season. We had Rudy Gobert with knee, knee problems for most of the year. Uh, Derek Favors misses time. Pretty much always Ricky Rubio suffered an injury, which you know, really stifled their chances in the playoffs. But heading into this season, David, we're at a, a spot where there aren't really any injuries with the Jazz. The only thing we're going to have... Is Tabo Cephalosha missing the first five games of, a, of the season due to a, a drug suspension? But everyone else appears uh, healthy at this point. Well, knock on wood, and you would hope so. I think what's important more than that is the health the guys had going into the offseason. So Derek Favors, who a year ago was you know battling through some knee bru- bone bruise of the knees, has had, had an entirely healthy offseason. Rudy Gobert's had a healthy offseason. Uh, Ricky Rubio has a healthy offseason, and Ricky Rubio is playing for the same head coach for the first time since between his first and second year of his yeah, NBA career. That's crazy. Um, and that was when he was coming off the ACL. So he was he was a, probably a psychological mess. This is really going to be an interesting year to finally see who Ricky Rubio is as a player. Um, so I think you'll see all of those, those players have coming off such an offseason. And it'll be really interesting you know, when they arrive, and it's all the same guys. There's, I mean, there's not a new face on this roster other than Grayson Allen, and it will be curious to see what advantage that gives the Jazz uh, with this new shortened training camps and shortened preseason. Your segue game has been really strong today, so I'm happy that you've taken me into the breakout player because you did mention Ricky Rubio as that guy. Um, he was disappointing for many fantasy owners last season because those assist numbers, they were almost cut in half. They went from 9.1 per game down to 5.3. The Jazz system it didn't allow him to have the ball in his hands as much, the elevation of Donovan Mitchell, of course. But he still finished the year as the 61st-ranked player. But I think it's really important to have a look as when he became comfortable in that second half of the year. Over the last 37 games of the season, he was the 41st-ranked player. So a, a jump up there, but importantly, David, he hit 41% of his threes over those 37 games. He was at 44% from the field overall, and of course, he's always been an excellent free throw shooter. So this is two years in a row we've seen a second half of the season three-point shooting surge from Ricky Rubio. He hit 35% overall. What's your thought on, can he actually extend it for a full 70-75 games rather than here's a 30-game sample of good shooting and a 40-game sample of, of terrible shooting? You know, you just made me think about something that I have not thought of before with Ricky Rubio, but it goes back to a, and maybe you can do this on the fly, uh, it goes back to a Nylon Calculus article of a few years ago, where when you're trying to project what a player is going to shoot from three, you really need 750 shots to do it. Okay. That once you, you know, because the sample size on threes is so small that once you have 753s then you pr- that's the number by which you can probably guess their next 750 is that number right there i wonder if we took ricky rubio's last 753 attempts now that's probably for rubio at 3 a game that comes out to two and a half three seasons worth what his number of three point shooting is okay if it's any different than that career 31% if he's suddenly a 34, 30, you know, then, then that really changes who you think he is as a player. But you're absolutely right. If you take his last 100 games now and go, you know, clipping it from All-Star break last year after he doesn't get traded, after he said goodbye to everyone, and he comes out just to kind of play to spite Thibodeau, and then he plays the rest of that year in Minnesota, and then you take his year in Utah, you do get, I think, 35 or 36 or 37%. So you have these two spikes in there. His spike with the Jazz 
stems back to this incredible interaction between he and Quinn Snyder in which he, in Atlanta, misses seven shots in like the first three minutes of the game, goes 0 for 7, Quinn pulls him. We're at the bottom, the Jazz are at the bottom of the barrel right now. I mean, this is, like, you're looking at the standings trying to figure out how you can tank to get under at this point. And the team's got a day off in Detroit, and Quinn Snyder waits outside of a team union meeting, and while Rubio's getting on the elevator in front of all of the team, Snyder says to Rubio, hey, I rewatched your seven shots. They were all good shots. Take them again. I shouldn't have taken you out. Okay. And, like, from that day on, Rubio goes and hits the game winner in Toronto two nights later and has an incredible shooting season. Is it really because of that moment? Maybe, since no coach has ever given Rubio confidence like that. That's, that's interesting. Now, while you were talking, though, I did go and add up his last 750-ish attempts. Actually, he was his last 733 attempts, and he's at 33% from three over those last 750. So that's not that's not a horrendous uh, not a horrendous amount. But obviously, the the last you know, season and a half, he's been you know, significantly better in that area. So 33 is okay. But you know, taking that step forward is key for him. He played 29 minutes a game last season. Can you see that going up for Rubio this season? I don't think so, because I think Exum being healthy, Grayson Allen being there, I don't think Neto gets regular minutes, but he's there. Um, I don't think that number goes up. I think that's the right number for him. He had some hamstring issues throughout the whole season that end up biting him at the end of the year, and so I think they'll be very cautious on that. And I think Grayson Allen's ready to play, and hopefully Dante Exum is able to take some steps. So I would be surprised if his minutes go up. I do think his efficiency goes up. I think that five rebounds, five assists, number six assists number, I think that's probably right about where he is. Um, the rebounding is good. The assist numbers aren't anywhere near. But the Jazz offense is so egalitarian that I can't imagine that his assist number goes back to his Minnesota assist numbers. And that was a huge adjustment for him. He, quite honestly, Ricky Rubio was pretty awful for the first 30 games of the year. He was throwing the ball all over the gym. He really had some tough nights. He just was uncomfortable. You, he, you could see he didn't know quite what to do. It was such a huge adjustment for him. And then when he found the rhythm, he was just fabulous. And he's got a knack. It's not going to help anyone in fantasy. But he has a knack to go get a loose ball at a rate I've only seen by Jason Kidd. Twice a night, there's a 50-50 ball that Rubio gets it. Just nobody else would get. He's a really, really strong rebounder as well. So that goes in there. He's a strong defender. And you're right, he was poor to start the year, but he did kick it off in that second half of the season. So he's going to be an interesting guy for us to watch yeah, for fantasy for this coming season. If that efficiency sticks up, then his value can rise back up. But yeah, I like the, the, the fact you bring so, up about those assists. They're going to just stay about what they were last year. Josh, if you're a fantasy player, how do you deal with a guy like Rubio? Is he like your last pick you take or something and you just stash him and figure you don't ever have to use – I don't know how it works how it works no, like in no, rosters. Does everyone play? No, he's, so that you, he's a lot higher than that. He's a guy that he yeah, has yeah, – the previous two years he'd been top 50 guys and normally like you're drafting 150 players in each league. So he's like a, a you know, top three or four round guy. That's why people were a little bit disappointed with him last season because they were taking him with that third or fourth pick and he dropped to become like the sixth or seventh best player because those assist numbers. Because he's able to get you two steals and you know, nine assists per game and have strong rebounding and good free throws, like he helps in all those areas. So he's always been that strong strong mid-round sort of a guy who probably you know, most a lot of fantasy players you know, understood how valuable he was as opposed to people who may not play and think oh he's you know, such such a bust he never can do anything but we, we always were able to understand just how valuable he can be despite you know, some of the shot struggles that he's had over the over the uh, course of his career well, that's really interesting I don't think anyone should be playing him for high assist numbers it's just not the way the jazz play I would be very surprised um, if if that number skyrocketed from a year ago, I just it's not how they play. They haven't had high assists since Quinn Snyder's been there. They move the basketball. They lead the league in passes. They lead the league in picks. They lead the league in off ball picks. It's a it's a movement structure, and I don't think that'll change. I do think he'll average fourteen fifteen points a game though, um, with his four or five five rebounds and six assists. So I'm assuming that's pretty good. Yep, yeah, that's it's it's going to be that mid round sort of guy around that fifty uh, fifty to sixty type of mark, which is bang on where he's being ranked uh, by uh, by Yahoo and ESPN at this point. Now that the two way guys on this team, David, we've got Tyler Kavanaugh and Naz Mitru Long. Uh, with how deep this team is, they're just not going to be called into action unless disaster strikes injury wise, are they? 
No, I don't think so. I do think Nas Long's a pretty good shooter, and at some point he's, he's going to have a have a role. He's t- he's a he's big for his position, yep. and he's a bona fide shooter. So I think he will have a. I think he'll have a role beyond a two way contract for at some point uh, soon. Here, it just may not be in Utah, or maybe it will be. He had uh, he had a pretty strong season for Salt Lake last year as well, and uh, yeah, an interesting type of player to keep an eye. But that's only for very very deep sort of uh, fantasy formats. Now, David, you're obviously well embedded there in the Jazz, so it's a team that doesn't get a massive amount of national attention that started to increase last season with Donovan Mitchell. But what's something that maybe the the national media or the national perspective on the Jazz is a little bit off on as opposed to the local perspective? Oh, I don't know. I think I mean. I don't think anyone, unless you lived it, and even I'll admit I lived it, and I don't even realize it, and now I go back and look at the numbers, and I'm stunned by it. I mean, the the Jazz hot streak last year was not 20 games. Like it, I remember, and I'm going to leave the reporter out because he's a really well-recognized national reporter who I actually would call a friend, but I'm talking to him as the Jazz are about to dispatch the Thunder in a six-game series, which was kind of a butt-kicking, right? They won five of the yeah. la- four of the last five, and, um, and I'm and I'm talking with him, and he's like, well, it depends how they do against Houston, whether I really think they're real or not. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, I mean, you know, this little hot streak they're on. This little hot streak was 42 games, <laughs> right? I mean, didn't they finish like 32 and 9? Yeah, something like um, that. And it coincides with Gobert coming back. I think people are somewhat aware of that. And I do think you can make a lot of mistakes if you believe that everything you see in the last 25 games of the year is going to happen in the next. Uh, you know, generally the first 20 games of the year is a much better indicator of the uh, than the last 20 games on how a team plays in the playoffs. But then the Jazz went and dismantled Oklahoma City, and so that I think gave some credence to it. Um, I, I just I, I and I don't mean this critically, like oh we're being you know disrespected or anything. I'm just not sure people realize how good this team was for the last 40 games. And I'll be honest, I lived it. I called every single one of them, and I am now going and doing my analysis on all these teams. And I'm like, oh, I really like New Orleans. I think Oklahoma City is going to be great. And then I go do us. And if I try to take away my broadcaster and just look at the jazz as though I am you know, live in New Orleans or live in Oklahoma City, God forbid, uh, I, I mean – I actually think I'd pick them second in the West. Yeah, I've, uh, I've seen the, 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 a lot of analytical models do the same thing, have them picked as second in the West too. Here, here's the one that maybe to answer your question, people don't recognize. And that is how bad Joe Johnson and Rodney Hood were for the Jazz last year. Yep. So when you talk about off-season moves, in many ways the Jazz made their off-season move. When they removed Joe Johnson from the equation, Joe doesn't have a contract right now, may not get one. Uh, that might have been the end of the run. It wouldn't be surprising. There's only been 19 players in the history of the game that have ever played more minutes than him, so this is not in any disrespect to him. But he just was kind of, he really defensively particularly, he really, really struggled. And Rodney was disengaged. You know, when, you're, when you have Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors on your roster and your defensive rating is a 107.4, you're not engaged. And you're not, you're not playing along. And so when they traded both those players in a deal that the national media completely missed, that the Jazz gave away these two guys, one because they couldn't sign him, and the other because he wanted out to play for the make a playoff run, so he couldn't play, didn't get to play in Houston, and the Jazz added Jay Crowder, who wasn't very good for them last year, statistically at least, they took a huge jump in the positive direction. And if that, in fact, is the team, and that... 42 game run and then the final 30 or whatever it was without them those two guys is not just a late season aberration then holy smokes this team is really really good and it's not where i started my analysis on this team but i've gotten closer to it if i take away i'm one of those hometown fans who never wants to believe you're that good right i'm not Not the one if i take that part of me out of the equation and i just analyze the jazz as a team uh without you know and i just analyzed they were five points better than all but one defensive team for the final 40 games of the year five they're five five points per hundred possessions better than all but one other team in the, for the fi- philadelphia 76ers for the final like 40 games five yep. like their defense was better than the warriors and rockets offense 
and you start running through what their numbers were with Ricky Rubio on the floor without Rodney Hood and without Joe Johnson. When you start looking at all their numbers without Joe Johnson, it's incredible what their numbers are if you take away Joe Johnson. So they're, And that's for the whole season, frankly. So if, if Rudy Gobert stays healthy for 72 games, maybe they're great. It's an interesting way of, uh, of looking at it. That, look, I think they're going to be in for a really, really strong season coming up here. But one other interesting thing of what they did last year, David, that the two years before, 15, 16, and 16, 17, they ran at a league low pace, like really, really low, less than 93 possessions per game. But they jumped it up to 97 last season. Was that, do you think that's the Rubio and Mitchell factor? You know, being those faster type of point guards there that really did elevate their pace to put them still on the lower end, but more, more in line with um, a lot of other teams in the NBA? So I, Josh, I could be wrong on this, um, but this is off the top of my head, and I actually kind of very purposely did not decide to keep a computer screen up in front of me while we were doing this because I thought I'd get distracted. So you can check and see if I'm wrong on this. But my memory is they got fast when Gobert was out. Um, They scored really highly on the first time Gobert was out. And then as the season went on, I think if you look at the set post-All-Star break, I think they're back to about 27th in the league in pace. So partially, the league got a lot faster. They weren't the slowest anymore. Um, and that's probably, and they probably will be even a little quicker if Dante plays a lot this year because Dante really plays fast. I mean, he's one of the fastest players in the league and opens up some things for this team that they didn't have otherwise. Okay, that's, that's interesting to know. I didn't have those. Uh, I haven't seen those numbers about the Gobert split in terms of their, uh, their overall pace uh, for the season. Now, I asked the question again to all these hosts, most likely player to be traded. You said Derek Favors, who is their starting power forward at this point. Favors has uh, struggled. Well, at, at I time. actually think so. I actually let me jump in here. I, I actually think it might be Alec Burks, but I actually just don't think any of them are going to be traded. Yeah, that's fair enough as well. And the only reason I answered that question you asked me is Derek Favors wasn't because I actually think Derek Favors will be traded, but just because he has a contract that, ex- you know, when I answer that question, it's it's really the contract that, um. But I'd be very surprised if Derek – so let me say – let me be clear on this. I'd be very surprised if if the Jazz make it. I think the whole point is they think they have a roster, and I'd be – I don't see the Rodney Hood-Joe Johnson scenario happening this year. Um, if Alec Burks isn't playing at all, his contract expires at the end of the year. He's at $11 million. Um, but if he's – but this is where I really feel like no one gets traded. So let me see if I can explain this. So – and this is why I didn't answer Alec Burks. So if the team's playing well and Alec Burks is getting no minutes, and so therefore it makes a lot of sense to trade him because he's an $11 million contract that expires, well, if the team's playing well and he's not playing, you don't want to add an $11 million player to the mix that screws up your chemistry. Yep. So I take Alec Burks off the list because I think there's only one of two scenarios with Alec. He's either not playing because they're playing well, or two, with everybody's switching defense that you see in the playoffs, Alec, who has some one-on-one skills and one of the better one-on-one players in the Jazz, actually is a player that you just kind of keep riding and you figure is going to become important in the playoffs. So that really only leaves Derek Favors because of the fact that his contract um, is a non-guaranteed for the next year and maybe you know some preemptive free i don't know it's i can't really come up with a scenario but i also derek has been uh the the organization derek came to a very interesting agreement this year where the jazz paid him quite a lot of money probably more than his next offer on the market but in a little bit of a statement of saying we understand that for you to come back here you have to sacrifice you may not finish games it's not as you're not getting the ball as much it's you know there's a lot of things that aren't great about it but we want you we like you you know what you have here. We respect what you do. So we're going to pay you probably a little bit more than you're getting somewhere else to make those sacrifices. It would seem very strange to me if that relationship ends with a trade. It's, it's I think, the most likely, but I think it's very unlikely. Favors is a guy that early on the, the Favors and Gobert combination did struggle, but later in the season it started to play quite well. But still, he still played the bulk of his minutes as the backup center on this team. He'd, he'd start, he'd come out, he'd come in and replace Gobert, and they'd put Jay Crowder in there at power forward. So do you think this season, David, that either Jay Crowder or Derek Favors will get more minutes? Oh, I think Derek Favors will, but I think Jay Crowder will get more at the four. Yeah. And Tabos, and I think Tabo Cephalosha will get some at the four as well after he comes off his suspension. 
Um, I would suspect, I'm just thinking about off the top of my head, that Derek plays 28 minutes a night. And if he's playing the opening six of the first and the third at the four, and then he's playing 13 or so as the backup center, then you're you're at 20, what's that, 25? Yep. So there's another three or four minutes somewhere in there where, depending on the matchups, maybe you know Rudy gets in foul trouble or he plays a little bit more, or um, depending on the matchups, you decide you want to go back to the two guys. The, two, the defense is pretty incredible, and the two of them are on the floor. What's interesting about the Jazz plus-minus numbers is, I, and this is where, I mean, this is where I go back to, like, people probably thought I was being a total homer. Um, and again, I'm doing this off the top of my head, so give me some luxury here. But I believe the Jazz, with Gobert and Favors on the floor last year, were a plus seven, maybe a plus eight. And the defensive rating was stupid. It was like a 93 or 94. I mean, it's just ridiculous. They, they that, had struggled together before, but last year it was, it was a big improvement right. with it. That plus seven of available players on the roster is still the lowest combination with Gobert. Okay. Well. Yeah, right? So good. Jay Crowder's like plus 15, and Cephalosha's plus 11, and Jonas was pretty good, and Jake, you know, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, and if if Derek, Derek has the Jazz defense has only been average with Derek as the backup center. If they can play better defense with Derek as a backup center, I think they may switch one through five. You know, just switch a lot more if that's the in vogue thing to do with Derek as the center. Um, and you know, suddenly really become incredibly difficult defensively that they're playing two different defensive styles throughout the night and your offense isn't quite sure where you know imagine if you're starting you're playing the whole night with Gobert as the dropping big on the pick and roll and you're trying to deal with that and then all of a sudden Gobert checks out of the game now they're switching one through five it's a it's like i got those numbers actually on favors him and Gobert played 842 minutes together and according to basketball reference they were plus 8.6 points per 100 possessions in that you uh, have the do you have the defensive rating um, no, but I can uh, I can bring that up. I'll, I'll, uh, it's I will stunning. Uh, yeah, so that was, that was plus eight point six, and I'll get the defensive rating here. Okay, and so that plus eight point six. If you eliminate any minutes with Joe Johnson on the floor, I still think that at that eight point six might be the lowest number of any of the Jazz combinations. Now that's a little misleading because they're always playing starters, right? Yep. And so you have to be a little careful in what you make out of it. But I think it still tells you something about how darn good this basketball team might be. Including playoffs, the defensive rating was 101.5, according to NBA Wowie, that is. And if I just look at regular season, where are we at? It was 100. I have the. I just pulled it up. I went to my computer. Uh, 54 games together last year. According to NBA stats, I have their defensive rating is a 98.0. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. That's 10 points better than the league average. The year before they played 46 games together, their defensive rating was a 96.5. Over the last 110 games, with Favors and Gobert on the floor together, the Jazz defensive rating is a 97.4. The league average offense is 108, 107. Yeah. It's, it's, it's huge. They're a massive defensive combination. That's why they're out there. But yeah, it doesn't But really... now, let, now let me jump in here for a second. Go, this is where I think Rudy's incredible. Now you got me. Now I got my numbers up. Now you're in trouble, Josh. Here we go. Go bear with a small, not named Joe Johnson. 96.3 last year. Okay. That's, yeah, that's, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it becomes almost impossible to score in that sort of a situation. Um, it's really, it's really incredible. Over the past two years, Gobert's played small ball minutes with six forwards that are not, and I wouldn't think of any of them other than Jay Crowder as a defensive presence. The defensive numbers in sixteen seventeen uh, with Joe Johnson was a one hundred one point three, with Boris Diaw was a one hundred point nine. With Trey Lyles, it was a 100.3. Then go to last year. Again, I, Tavo maybe is, but he's pretty small, 98.8. Jarebko's not really thought of defensively, 99.6. And with Jay Crowder, the defensive rating was a 91.6. 91. Wow, okay. 
that's a that's a, a very very uh, small number. Ninety one there for Gobert. We know we know what Gobert can do uh, defensively. He's he's fantastic. Favors on the other hand, like he, he does it, but it doesn't really translate into into fantasy numbers. He gets you maybe a block a game, like not huge amounts there. And I, I think he'll struggle to be a close to a top one hundred guy for this season in that top you know, one thirty to one fifty sort of range. I think for Derek Favors, let's talk a little bit about Grayson Allen. David, uh, who the Jazz did pick at pick number 21, do you think he is ready to be a rotation guy straight away? I do. He can dribble and he can pass. And where I think a lot of coaches in this league want players who can score and do a lot of those kind of things, Quinn Snyder wants players who can dribble and pass. Quinn sometimes has been known to say, give me a guy who can dribble and pass. I'll make the offense work well enough we can score. Whereas, and then, you know, and really what Quinn's saying is, give me Royce O'Neal, who can dribble, pass, and play defense, right? Yep. And if they can dribble, pass, and play defense, I'll find value for them, and I'll find a way for them to score just enough that we're okay. And that's that's where I think Grayson Allen will be all right. If he's all right defensively, he can dribble and pass. He can play the one or the two. He's tough. He's an elite athlete. And I think... If you watched him play at Duke last year, he almost never played with what Quinn Snyder would call an advantage. And what I mean by that is Quinn's offense with more picks on the ball, more picks off the ball than any team in the league. When you you get the ball, you almost always have an advantage. It's how a guy like Joe Ingles is not asked to play isolation basketball very often. He's coming off a pick. He's coming off a pin down. He's got an edge on a guy. Grayson, if you go watch Duke the last two years, and I watched a lot of Grayson Allen after Jazz took him, he's on the floor with Marvin Bagley and Wendell Carter. There's no room, and they're not running any pick. They're not running anything for him. He's got to create everything himself. The year prior, I'm forgetting who Duke had. You can probably help me out, but they had two bigs again. You go to his sophomore year, and you have him now suddenly with Brandon Ingram playing as the four, who's really a two, and all of a sudden, Grayson Allen's all over the rim. He took 133 shots around the basket as a sophomore, 58 around the basket as a junior, and 36 as a senior. If that sophomore player who plays in space and can explode to the basket and plays with an advantage returns, and there isn't something that just changed in his game other than who he's playing with, that's a pretty special player who actually I think might play as many as 20 minutes a night, maybe even more. So who's he taking the minutes off? Is it is it Royce O'Neal? Is it uh, is it Dante Exum? Is it Hal Neto completely out of there? Like How's that guard rotation looking? Is it Mitchell Rubio, Exum, Allen? Is that the top four? Where's O'Neal fitting into there because you've got Tarbo back as well? So I, I may be... This this may be the opposite of last year's Donovan Mitchell prediction, and 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 I may turn out to really be wrong on this. You know, Joe Ingles plays point guard for us some of the time, right? If you really watch the way we're playing, Joe Ingles is playing point guard. So I view the seven players who play the three guards position as a little bit of a mosh pit of options. So Rubio's really a point guard. Yeah. But Donovan's a one or a two, and frankly, he's big enough to probably guard most threes if he needs to, right? Or, frankly, everybody else I'm about to mention is good enough defensively that if you want to hide Donovan on somebody, you can just move Donovan and give him a rest. Not that Donovan needs to be hidden. He just needs to be rested. So Joe Ingles is your three, but he really can play the one, and he can play the two. Royce O'Neal can play the two or the three. Dante Exum can play the one, the two, and he's six six with a six, whatever wingspan. He's probably can play the three, right? Yeah, Grayson Allen can play the one or the two, and Alec Burks is somewhat of a one, two, or three, depending who he's playing with. So if you suddenly have Donovan Mitchell, Grayson Allen, and Joe Ingles on the floor, like, who's what? Yeah. If you have Royce O'Neal, Joe Ingles, and I don't know if you do this, Grayson Allen on the floor, who do you got? Like, is Grayson Allen now your point guard? Maybe. So, you know, we talked about Rubio is probably going to play 28 minutes, and Donovan's probably going to play 34, and Joe's probably going to get back to around 30. So that's 90 of what? About 100 and what's 48 times 3 is about 144 or something like that? Yep. So you, you know, you've got another 45, 50 minutes to go distribute amongst Dante Exum, Grayson Allen, Royce O'Neal, and Alec Burks, depending on how it plays. I think Cephalosian Crowder play exclusively as stretch fours. Okay. 
Uh, and then George Niang probably, if you need to, um, plays at definitely as a four. And then Favors, Gobert, and Tony Bradley and Epe Udo are playing all your center minutes. So I I don't see it. So the way, and, and the reason I gave that long-winded weird answer is because you're saying whose minutes do you think he takes – I don't know whose he takes because I think it's just going to be whoever's playing well and whoever Quinn feels that night um, gets the minutes. You know, if Royce doesn't have a good matchup for him, you know, if there's not a elite level wing player that Royce O'Neal needs to try to go out there and stop, then maybe Royce doesn't play as much that night. Whereas if James Harden's out there, well, probably you're putting Exum and Royce O'Neal out there for most minutes to be guarding Harden. That's basically so, the way that I've got it breaking down as well. Just by looking at you know, these guys, it's going to be interchangeable as to, as to how these guys run out with it, with O'Neill and with Allen and with Burks and with Exum. And yeah, we, we can't discount the fact that Dante has missed you know, two full seasons pretty much as well. So there's always you know, injury concerns. So there are guys in there, and I think that Allen well, ends up playing. Here's the an interesting. Of the games. Here's an interesting one. Who's played more basketball, Dante Exum or Grayson Allen? Yeah, okay. It's it probably is Allen, to be honest. What's Exum played over the let's have a look at his um have a look at his numbers. What's he played? He has played hmm. last year he played fourteen games. Yep, and he played eighty two. He didn't play the year in between. Yep. So he's played so 100, he's, 148 plus fourteen, hundred and sixty two games he's played over four years. And Grayson Allen in that same time period, while at Duke, not in the NBA, probably played hundred and forty five four. And Grayson Allen probably played more basketball growing up against tougher competition than Dante Axum did in Australia. No offense. No, no, he he didn't play a huge amount over here in, in huge in uh, high competitive type uh, situations. He played yeah, 142 at uh, at Duke. So uh, yeah, and he's, so he same. played. Grayson Allen's played 3,900 college minutes. Dante Axum in that same time period played 3,200 NBA minutes. Yeah, it's it's, it's a really so interesting, and they're the exact same age, by the way. Okay. Yeah, it, it, Dante's missed so much time. Look, he looked good last season, but yeah, we've missed a lot of developmental time with Exum, but that's part of the appeal, I guess, when drafting him. He was so young and you had that time to go in and, uh, and develop him. The projected starting five for this team, David, I think it's pretty straightforward. Rubio, Mitchell, Ingles, Favors, and Gobert. We haven't really talked about Rudy Gobert. We've talked about him, I guess, in passing and talked around him in terms of the impact that he had last season when he wasn't there and then what change it was when he came back. We thought there might be a big increase in usage with Gobert last season with Haywood gone. We even saw it at the end of the season before when he was putting up you know, much bigger numbers, being more involved offensively. It didn't really work out exactly that way last season. He still only has a usage of under 17%. Are we expecting more of the same, I guess, from Gobert in that realm this season? Going to be a lead in field goal percentage, great efficiency, really good shot blocking, one of the best rebounders. But that usage will probably stick around that same mark, I'd guess. I'd be surprised if it changed, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, I think so. Look, last year was that opportunity. But obviously, Mitchell came and grabbed all of those shots pretty much, and Gobert stayed in that similar role. So I don't, I don't really see how it's going to change. He's going to be that guy who's in that 20 to 35 type fantasy range. If he goes from two and a half blocks to 2.8 blocks, then it jumps up. If he goes down to two blocks, then it falls down. It's really dependent on how those blocks shake out for him. We know he's going to rebound. We know he's going to be a 60% plus finisher. The free throw percentage is always a worry with him because he goes to the line so much as well. He's not Dwight Howard. He's not DeAndre Jordan. But at 65%, if you go in there six times a game, hey, it's a real dip. Wait detriment. a sec. Yeah. You're being unfair to the guy. Why is that? In the last three years, he went from 57 to 65 to 68% free throw shooting. So do you think that it's going up even further? And that's impressive that he's gone up each of the last three seasons. I'll grant him that. But in fantasy, because of his volume there, it's still a big detrimental effect when the average number is 78% across the league. If he's still 10% under, plus he's taking a volume, which is probably in the 10th or the 90th percentile of, of overall attempts, it drags a whole team down. But if he can get to 73% on a similar trajectory to, say, Blake Griffin's free throw percentage was then it becomes much less of an effect. Is he able to take that extra step forward, do you think? Is he consistently showing that improvement? I think he'll make 70% this year. Okay. Well, if he makes 70%, then it, it does take away some of that uh, that issue that you may have with his uh, with his free throw percentage, especially in, in rotisserie formats. But it's something we do have to pay attention to and see how it works because because of the volume that Gobert takes there, any time that he dips below that 76 or sorry, 66 mark, it is a real impact thing. If he was getting there two times a game, two and a half, it really wouldn't be too much of a concern. But if it does... 
if it does, because he gets there as often as he does, you know, any sort of dip below 70 can be a real negative uh, issue for him. When I look at these this team and look at their value across you know, ESPN and Yahoo, Donovan Mitchell is listed as the 44th ranked player on ESPN. That is way too low. I would have him high. And they've got Ingles at 113, which I don't get. He was like the 60th ranked player last season. I don't really see much reason for any of his production to change. He's an elite three-point shooter who gets steals, gets assists, and just does what he does. I don't think anything's changing with Joe Ingles for this coming season. That shot is real. That corner three is the best in the NBA. Um, I would be very surprised if anything changes on that. I think the confidence he's gained and the workload he's added, I think, has made him uh, consistent. I'd be surprised if, you know, it's really quite a story. Um, but I, I think he... Um, I think he deserve. I think you have to. He deserves the respect of being the shooter that he is. He, he's really not. You know, when when we try to figure out why the Jazz, so you, the Jazz were a surprise last year. So you're trying to figure out well, what about him? Made what about them made them so much better than people realize? The first thing is I think we don't understand defense, right? And we just talked about the fact that their defense was better than the Warriors, the Rockets' offense. That doesn't do you any good in fantasy, but that's the explanation. And then. I think the other explanation is if you think back at another team that was equally as surprising, which was the uh, Atlanta Hawks of a few years ago. And you'd really dug into the numbers of why that team was so much better than anyone uh, realized. The answer was because of Kyle Korver. And I think Joe Ingles is stunningly close to Kyle Korver. Okay. Hey, look, he's hitting like 43, 44% of his threes, and that, that's huge. And being able to, to take those threes and hit them at that rate is obviously key. Plus, he can move the ball when the, when the shot's not op- optimal. He takes the ones that are right. And I think, David, it's something which probably doesn't impact much, but maybe it does. He is a, an elite-level shit talker as well. He gets out there. He's nonstop yapping on the court, is he? There's no question. He is an irritant. <laughs> yeah. You know, here's the thing. Again, I apologize to everybody who wants fantasy because this doesn't really help you, but trying to understand this team, who do you want to be guarded by? Yeah, that, that's okay. what's, what's your worst. Look at the roster. Look at Donovan that Mitchell? roster. Like, right? Yeah. Like, who do you want to be guarded by? Like, I don't want Rubio swiping his hands all around me. I don't want Joe grabbing and holding and doing that stupid stuff and getting in my chest and bugging me. I don't want Royce O'Neal's physical as hell. I don't want Dante's speed and length. Right, like what other? T- I don't want favors. Maybe I, you know, maybe my answer is I want favors as a on the put the ball on the floor stretch four. They, there's like none of them in the league. Maybe one or two. Um, you know, I think that's a, You know, you look at just about any other team. Like if you look at Houston, it's like oh, I want to be guarded by Carmelo or James Harden or frankly, a 33 year old Chris Paul. I can probably handle. Um, you know, even the Warriors. There's a few guys. You're like, I'll let him guard me. Um, but there's nobody on this team that you want to be guarded by. And then you get to play them at altitude. What you, you said, that you, know, you said, oh, I don't think this has got much impact for fantasy. It's, it does a massive impact because it's not necessarily for these guys, but for when your, your guys come up and play against the Jazz. Expect it to be worse. Expect their field goal percentage to drop. Expect the pace of the game to slow down. Expect so many things to be different. Hey, they're going to get shots blocked. They're going to have to go up against uh, Gobert and try and grab rebounds off him. So you see a decrease, especially when you're talking daily fantasy, is you're going to see decreased performance against the Jazz. Guys are going to put get the clamps put on them. Yeah, Paul George knows all about that. We saw it in the playoffs. No matter what position you're at, they're going to drop. They're going to be less efficient. They're going to have score less points. The game's going to be slower. It's a big impact. And when you're in By the way, has, has anyone ever had less people talk about a um, somewhat of a playoff disaster than Paul George is two for sixteen in Game Six that no one no one talks about? Yeah, he, he got a pass on that, didn't he? You can imagine if that was LeBron that was doing that, there is no way that that would uh, go under the radar. But Ingles killed him that entire series. Did did Paul George? He had one good game, I think. The the playoff period. Yeah, the. First game, the first game of the series, he was unbelievable. Yep. And then the Jazz made some adjustments on him, and he was still good, but he he wasn't great. Um, he was six of twenty-one in the vital game two, in which the Jazz won, and then he was two of sixteen in game six, which was certainly a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Russ's, you know, if it's not for Russ's super, it's interesting to me because I took I, I I'm talking about myself. They lose Carmelo, and I think to myself, okay, well, the Thunder are better than the Jazz now, just by losing Carmelo. 
Like, it took Russell Westbrook to put on the greatest single exhibition I have ever seen. I saw Jordan's finals. I covered both his finals against the Jazz. I've been in the league for 25 years. I have never, in my lifetime, ever seen anyone do what Russell Westbrook did in Game 5 of that series. That was beyond human. That 45-point explosion. Paul George was good that night as well with 34. But what Russ did... That game was over. They were dead. Russ just decided to go nuts and see if he could have it carry him, and he did it. And it was awesome. He was, but he that's was what it took for them to not lose four straight to the Utah Jazz. You forget about some of these performances. But, you know, it gets washed up in the later rounds of the playoffs. But, yeah, there was some just – Mitchell and, and Russ in that series were, were crazy. Ingles going on, on George. There was some great stuff happening in that playoff series. David, I reckon we've, uh, we've talked enough about the Jazz here. There's plenty of guys who, you know, on the bottom end of the roster that aren't going to see much time, but that's, that's the main guys covered off. Um, thank you for, for coming on and talking about the Jazz again. Uh, no Donovan Mitchell prediction, predictions this year or type predictions, but, uh, still plenty of great info. So thank you for, for jumping on and talking about the Jazz with me. Well, I was willing to drop that I thought I'd score 30 at some point <laughs> in his NBA career. I think that was significant enough. Yeah. And, and, you know, at this point, people won't even look at that and go, oh, yeah, that, that's crazy. They'll go, yeah, fair enough. I, I can understand that happening. I don't think that's, that's not outrageous at all at this point, given how, uh, how explosive he was in his first season. Uh, David, you can go, you can go check out David's stuff. On Locked On Jazz, of course, he's hosting uh, Locked On NBA one day a week uh, as I host the Monday show. He does the Thursday show, so plenty of stuff still coming up on Locked On NBA and right across the Locked On Podcast Network. Anything interesting that you want to uh, announce to us here, David, about anything happening on the network? Oh, I mean, I think the NFL changes both our fantasy football. If you play fantasy football, we're going to actually, um, this is, this will hopefully be, turn out to be true. We're expecting to actually have two fantasy shows. One will follow the model of the fantasy, of, uh, with the fantasy football experts kind of idea, with our host talking to the biggest national experts. And then the other one will be an individual kind of fantasy show that gets into your moves for your daily and your waiver wires and all those kind of things. So that should be, uh, we're going to give you two football fantasy shows since it's a week kind of in between. Um, so that should be good for you, hopefully. Um, and everyone hopefully will enjoy that. Cool. Everyone check that out. Go and follow David on, uh, on Twitter at locked on sports and, uh, locked on NBA and locked on jazz. Go and, uh, go and check those podcasts out and check this one out. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. Leave, leave a comment, leave a review, leave a thumbs up. You know how to do all that stuff. David, thanks again. See you, buddy. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Donovan Mitchell.